The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program this Friday morning. The headlines, virus cases in the U.S. spiked well over 50,000 in another record day of infections. But President Trump says 4.8 million people back on the payroll proves the country's resilience. Our economy is roaring back. It's coming back extremely strong. We have some areas where we're putting out the flames or the fires, and that's working out well. We're working very closely with governors. And I think it's working out very well. I think you'll see that shortly. Chinese services sector activity expands at its fastest rate in over a decade as lockdown easing across the country supports a recovery in consumer demand. Deutsche Bank working with German regulators on a potential bailout of Wirecard, saying it's looking at providing financial support for the insolvent payment firm's banking unit. And drug disappointments on both sides of the Atlantic. French pharma group Sanofi says its arthritis medicine is failing as a treatment for severe COVID, whilst Moderna shares fall sharply as the biotech firm's vaccine trial is reportedly delayed. The number of virus cases in the U.S. has risen by well over 50,000 for a second day in a row. In California, the infection rate has risen 37 percent. Hospitalizations are up 56 percent over the last two weeks. In Florida, the mayor of Miami-Dade County has imposed a curfew in the hopes of curbing the spread of the outbreak. President Trump tweeted overnight to say that the rise in cases is because of massive testing adding the death rate is down. The governor of Texas has issued an executive order requiring residents across the state to wear face coverings as the virus continues to spread. That order applies to counties with 20 or more cases and gives local officials the ability to impose restrictions on outdoor gatherings of over 10 people. After an initial warning, those who refuse will be fined up to $250. But U.S. Vice President Mike Pence told our U.S. colleagues in an exclusive that a national mandate for people to wear masks is not necessary. PPE supplies are strong, testing are strong, more therapeutic medicines are available every day, and, uh, and we're going to stay with these states that are seeing rising cases every step of the way as they continue to take steps to mitigate uh, the expansion of, of uh, the coronavirus. But we're going to keep opening up America again and have more days just like today. We need to analyze this extraordinary data run that we saw yesterday. There were some other data, including factory orders, international trade and jobless claims. But let's concentrate on the blockbuster non-farm payroll figure, which, of course, we had a day early due to the 4th of July holiday. And by the way, to all our U.S. viewers, happy 4th of July, a day early, albeit. Right. So the U.S. added 4.8 million jobs in June. Let's say that again. 4.8 million jobs added in June, beating estimates for a second straight month, marking the biggest payrolls jump on record. Biggest one ever. Now, the unemployment rate also fell for the period uh, more than expected, as you can see on the screen, 11.1%. 
um, the hard hit leisure and hospitality industry saw the biggest uptick. I'll just stop there for a second. Leisure and hospitality created 2.1 million extra jobs. Retail created 740,000 extra jobs. Manufacturing came in incidentally with 356,000. But here's the problem. Overall unemployment levels remain incredibly high. 31 and a half million Americans still making claims and the, and the weekly jobless claims up another 1.4 million. It has to be said. But uh, and he's right. They were historic. President Trump called those numbers historic, adding that the U.S. economy is on track to grow above pre-pandemic levels. We built the greatest economy in the history of the world, and we are now doing it again. And I think we'll do even better the second time than we did the first time, unless somebody comes along and says, let's raise taxes on everybody. And they're raising taxes not only on corporations. They'll just go to another country and they'll do just fine. But they're raising taxes on people and middle-income people, and they're losing jobs. So you can't allow that to happen. That will be all of this incredible job that we've done. will go down like that. It will be a terrible, terrible sight. It might even be a 1929 situation. President Trump there. Well, uh, the markets uh, seized upon the jobs data, as you can tell here, and we had a positive end to the trading session. I guess there are those who thought that we might bounce a little further here. But of course, there is always that way that the market analyzes positive news as sometimes not being as positive for the prospect of even further easing or stimulus. Anyhow, it was an unambiguously good number from the United States yesterday, as Steve was pointing out here. And across the uh, three major indices here, we did get uh, very positive closes on the trading session here. I want to tell you a very brief story. Uh, our friends who compile the data at CNBC headquarters had a look at IPO performance, which I think is interesting as well because it is a way that you get to look at new businesses coming into the capital markets, and then investors get to make a decision uh, about what the prospects of those businesses are. Or indeed, it's a, it's a good indicator of just to what degree uh, market participants do want to get involved in some of these new stories. And um, they talked about IPOs, um, IPOs doubling on their debut year to date. Um, Lemonade, of course, we just had that recent IPO, and we're going to talk more about that. But five recent IPOs doubled on their debut uh, or from their debut uh, year to date here. And that tells you that there is some momentum in very good stories. When you look at the IPOs, though, that priced lower, negative 19% at least on the year, 65 IPOs. So in all this clamor to tell you all the great things that are happening on the long side of the markets at the moment, you do get a lot of discernment in the IPOs and the fact that we're talking about 65, negative 19% below on a year-to-date basis tells you that not everything that comes to the market is something you should be chasing. I will just point out, as we, we look at the technology chart here, one of the companies that did the best Schrodinger. Schrodinger up 446% from its IPO. And again, it tells you, if you have a good story that is at the nexus of 
things that the market is very excited about, you can do extraordinarily well. And this is a software drug discovery company. Covers your technology, covers your pharma. Gives you a good sense here of how uh, technology fared and the drag that we continue to see uh, for those uh, social media stocks as people uh, raise some concerns obviously, about uh, what is going on with the advertising market. Schrodinger, uh, not a cat in sight. Let's talk about the Treasury market. This is uh, where we are. Um, well, that's not hugely informative on the direction, but it gives you a... Let me just show you the the, the, the one that I just want to pick out for you here is the 10-year note, because I would say that's a key battleground on how the markets are feeling about risk. And the FT had a good piece this morning just describing how junk bonds have seen their biggest withdrawals since March in the week ending July 1st, $3.4 billion was the outflow, which is small in comparison to the money that has gone into uh, many of those um, ETF products over recent weeks. But maybe the fact that we saw withdrawal last week just indicates investors are becoming a bit more sensitive to credit quality as we get very slow reopening of economies here. Um, Here's a look at uh, how we're seeing the dollar trade uh, across the major crosses at the moment. And I'll just focus on uh, sterling, uh, just for no other reason really than to remind everybody that, hey, the pubs are opening uh, in the UK tomorrow. Maybe. Not everywhere, as I understand it. Some councils are taking a tougher line on this and maybe the pubs will not open in those areas. The experience of restaurant reopening in the United States and the spike of infections is perhaps instructive as to why some councils have decided that they may not allow bars and pubs to open tomorrow. But generally, that is the big step forward for the UK. Greg Williamson joins us, head of strategy at Pluribus Labs. And Greg, let me just pick up on that idea because we had a very strong jobs number. But as we look forward to next month's number, how big an impact do you think that the renewed lockdowns in the US on the virus infection spike, how big an impact do you think that is going to have on the series as we see it? Well, thanks for having me this morning, Jeff. And that's an excellent question. And there obviously will be some impact of increased COVID uh, infections in certain states in the United States. But uh, there will also be uh, an opening of other states that will take their place. So uh, the impact of COVID is yet to be seen. Uh, as you pointed out, though, the jobs numbers uh, this month uh, – for, reported for June were very strong, and that comes on the back of a very strong May number. That's almost nine and a half million new jobs created in the United States. But as you also rightly pointed out, there are over 18 million people in the United States still looking for work. Uh, the jobs numbers could get a little worse before they get better for three reasons. One, the uh, payroll protection plan rolled off in the middle of last month, and those numbers and the, the impact of the roll-off of the payroll protection plan may not show up in the June numbers. They may show up this next month. Secondly, we also have underemployment in the United States. Even though the employment unemployment rate is at 11.1%, when you factor in underemployment, it's over 18%. And then third, as you rightly point out, COVID. Uh, the impact of COVID is unknown, but... Uh, with 
increased treatments, uh, even as cases are increasing, uh, lower hospitalization rates overall and a lower death rate may mean that COVID won't have a large impact on the increase that we're seeing in companies reopening and people getting back to work. Well, let me ask you, what, what does this mean uh, since you're head of strategy, Greg? What does this actually mean for the way you need to think about allocate, allocating to equities and which equities going forward? The equity markets are telling us uh, a story that's very positive. In the United States, the NASDAQ hit an all-time high and is up over uh, 3%, or excuse me, is up 13% uh, year-to-date. The S&P 500 uh, has increased substantially. It's now only down 3.5% for the year, certainly up from the lows that we saw uh, in early March. Uh, the markets are telling us that things look good. We are seeing earnings uh, expectations increasing and analyst expectations for companies starting to show positive increases in earnings. Um, what we're seeing is that um, in times of uncertainty, investors look beyond the next quarter or year or even two years uh, at earnings from the equity markets. They're looking at things three to five years from now because they don't know what exactly is going to happen in the next year to two. And if you look out three years plus, you see that COVID should be passed by that time and it will resume the growth that we saw across the globe and in the United States. But what you'll also see is a focus on those stocks that have done and those sectors or those themes that are driving the global economy, as you pointed out, doing well. Things like cloud computing, uh, gaming, e-commerce, digital currency, right. uh, robotics, and healthcare. And you're seeing the markets, you had seen the markets focusing on those names and those sectors prior to COVID. COVID has actually enhanced the focus on those sectors, and those are the ones that we see doing quite well. And as the markets look out three years, they'll see those doing well uh, on a continued basis. Greg, let's spice things up a bit. I'm going to disagree with you intently. You said, and I'll quote, market is saying things look good. Well, I think you're looking like everybody else at all the shiny things at the top of the market, such as the NASDAQ as well. When the things I'm looking at are saying the market is very nuanced at best. In fact, real old economy US is struggling badly, including, dare I say, the international trade figures yesterday, the Russell 2K, which is 17% off its 52-week high, uh, the Dow Transports, which is an important market, down 19%, the energy sector down 41 and financials down 26%. I don't think the market is unambiguously saying to me, things look good. Uh, the, what the market is saying is that there are certain things that look very good and certain things that are going to be impacted not only by COVID, but by the change in technology and innovation that is occurring in the market. You know, traditional finance doesn't look good because traditional finance is an analog business and hasn't moved into the digital age. As we see a move into digital finance, some of the old guard will fall by the wayside and there will be new players who will take their place. And we see that occurring in many types of analog businesses as there's a transition to our digital future. Um, so vast tranches of the US as it stands now will be redundant is what you're saying. We will never see that energy independence. We'll never see those energy jobs come back. We won't see those financial jobs come back. We won't see those financial profits come back. Just want to make sure where we're at here because the industrial sector is a great growth driver in the US as well. Well, it's not that we might not see them come back. It's that the 
the jobs that currently exist may transition to other jobs. Energy is always going to be needed. It, we might not be have a carbon-based future. We might have a more of an alternative-based future uh, with alternative energy. So there will always be a focus on uh, the production of energy. Uh, in finance, there will always be a need for finance, an increased need, I would argue. It just won't be through the traditional digital or uh, analog means. It will be driven by digital companies and digital providers in the future. So there'll be a transition of jobs and the way that those jobs are carried out. Uh, as there's always been throughout the global economy. Greg, I love the debate, and I'm glad we can have it as well, and we'll do it again another time. Thank you very much indeed for your time. So have a great 4th of July. Greg Williamson, head of Strashy Pluribus Labs, uh, joining us on Squawk Box. Right, well, for more on those job numbers, including uh, there's a few sceptics out there, why one economist believes U.S. is, quote, not out of the woods, uh, head to our website. That's on cnbc.com. Yeah, and a record expansion for Chinese service sector activity as consumer demand makes a comeback. We'll have analysis on that after the break. Plus, for more on the spike in U.S. cases, the better-than-expected jobs report and the final day of trade this week, check out the Squawk Box podcast. We'll be back. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. So how are we going to close out this trading week? Well, the early uh, opening calls, if we just pop up the board for you at the moment, um, we look a little bit flat here. But to be honest, um, it's looked like this at this hour pretty much all week, as I think Europe has waited to get clear direction uh, from the US Open um, before deciding which way it wants to head. Uh, when do we get the decoupling? I know I keep reading a lot of copies saying, oh, Europe's in a much better place. We're going to do better coming out of this uh, COVID slowdown because of the way that the infections have been dealt with. Well, let's see the evidence, not just in the DAX, but across the other markets. How's Asia doing? Let's put up the board for you so you can have a good look. Well, that's unambiguous, isn't it? Um, although the Aussie market is pretty much flat there, but the Nikkei having a little bit of a, a rebound on some of the weakness this week and the China-related markets are higher. A bill aiming to sanction banks that do business with Chinese officials who are implementing the Hong Kong national security law passed the U.S. Senate. The House of Representatives voted on the law earlier this week, meaning it will now go to the White House, where the president can either veto it or sign it into law. The government has been critical of Beijing's laws and has begun implementing the president's directive to revoke Hong Kong's special status. Vice President Mike Pence told CNBC in an exclusive interview that the White House will continue to introduce measures in response to the law. The national security law that, that China passed and now is imposing on Hong Kong, is a, it's, it's a betrayal uh, of the international agreement that they signed. Uh, and ultimately, it's, it is a, uh, it's a, it's, it's, 
it, it, it's, it's unacceptable to freedom-loving people around the world. And President Trump has made it clear that, that we're going to be modifying our, uh, our, our trading relationship and the trading status with regard to Hong Kong. And we're going to continue to speak out on behalf of the people of Hong Kong and on behalf of human rights of people within China. So if anyone ever asks you why the Chinese need higher growth rates than the rest of the world, part of the answer is in this huge workforce uh, and in the highly educated workforce coming on and how they need to find jobs for them. Great stat here that 9 million graduates in China join the workforce or will join the workforce in July. 9 million graduates who need jobs as well. So if we want to see uh, a lack of social problems in China, we need, of course, that great growth engine to continue. Uh, and we had some good data, actually. Chinese services uh, sector expanded at its fastest rate in more than a decade. Uh, this according to the June Kaishin PMI data as well. So let's get some uh, more detail on this. Delighted to say Sam joins us now. Sam, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Steve. Well, this was really consistent with that official data that we saw earlier in the week, certainly suggesting that China's economic recovery is picking up speed as things over there get somewhat back to normal. So this Caixin Services PMI rose to 58.4 for the month of June, up from May's 55, as you say, the fastest pace in over a decade since April 2010. Certainly continuing to lift spirits over on the mainland markets today after a week of pretty upbeat, positive and quite surprising uh, data on the services sector but also on the manufacturing side of things. Um, so this number, of course, is very closely watched by investors because the service sector uh, is very important in China. It makes up for 60% of the economy. Uh, it is a key uh, driver and generator of jobs across the country. And of course, this number is also an indicator of consumer confidence in China. So this really suggests uh, that that is improving quite well, quite nicely. Of course, we have seen China really rolling out a lot of policy measures to try to spur consumption. So perhaps that is working now. According to the survey, um, firms widely reported that overall market conditions had continued to improve following an easing of a lockdown measure. So just to break down the numbers for you guys, the sub-index for new business rose 57.3 for the month of June uh, from 55 in May, the quickest pace since August 2010. Uh, new export business also grew for the first time since January, perhaps helped uh, by other countries, other economies uh, now starting to pick up and open up. Now, the Taishin survey of course, now looks at the uh, private sector and the smaller firms across China. And, and the pace of this have been a lot slower to recover um, from the impacts of the coronavirus outbreak in China than the manufacturing sector. And that is uh, down to uh, things like pay cuts and job losses. A lot of companies have actually also had to lower a lot of their prices, but things are looking up now. Uh, but beyond this headline number, though, we do need to look beyond that because the survey says that the employment uh, did continue to shrink in the month of June. Uh, so clearly there are still a lot of concerns about jobs in the world's second biggest economy. Uh, as you were pointing out there, uh, Steve, a lot of graduates, but clearly perhaps not enough jobs for them, which has been forcing a lot of people to really tighten their belts in China. And of course, we have heard from China's central bank in the last week that has said um, that, you know, China's uh, economic uh, growth does face challenges because of the global pandemic and that it would continue uh, to drive uh, lending rates lower, but also also continue to help and support um, not just SMEs, but the private firms as well. Because as I said, this Taishin survey looks at the private sector um, in order to help the recovery. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.